Welcome to this week's episode of the Maroon Weekly. It is episode 44 of ninth week of spring quarter. As always, I'm Isaac. And I'm Ron. And we've got a lot of great stories today, so we'll just jump right into it. Ron, you've got something on student government, right? Yeah, so student government passed its annual budget for the 2019-2020 school year this past Monday. Did any particular clubs receive an increase in funding? Yes, the Coalition of Academic Teams, which includes competitively ranked academic RSOs such as Model UN and the Chess Club, was granted a 4.86 increase in funding over the previous year, which is primarily going to be used for travel expenses. Funding for the Community Service Fund also increased by about 7% this year, mostly because new clubs were granted community service status. Graduate Council funding, Program Coordinating Council, SGFC, annual allocations, the sports club fund, and the student government administrative budget all received an increase in funding. So what happens to all the money that doesn't get used by student groups or committees? Under student government bylaws, one-third of this funding is given to the Graduate Student Summer Fund, and two-thirds are given to the Undergraduate Student Summer Fund. If these funds are not spent by the end of summer quarter, they roll over to the incoming executive slate. Was there anything else done at the student government meeting? Yes, it also passed the bill urging the administration to form an academic department for the Comparative Race and Ethnic Studies major, a bill to revise the Sexual Assault Awareness and Prevention Committee bylaws, and two bills increasing the transparency of various student government committees and assemblies. Yeah, so talking about funding, um, more than 250 students gathered in the Reynolds Club on Tuesday night to protest a bill that would restrict the application of funds allocated for student use towards abortion procedures. The bill, which was voted on by College Council later Tuesday night, failed to pass. Most students present at the Reynolds Club were opposed to the bill. The bill failed by a vote of 1 to 15 with no abstentions. So who is the one person that voted in support of this bill? The bill's author, fourth-year Brett Barbin, a College Council class representative and outgoing president of College Republicans, cast the only vote in support of the bill. The bill would have prohibited the expenditure of the College Council authorized funds towards abortion, except in the case where extenuating circumstances such as uh, danger or death of the pregnant person was involved. And the text of the bill argues that students should not be financially compelled to violate their sincerely held moral beliefs against the procedure. So where does the funding come from? Uh, Like we were talking about earlier, the College Council receives its funding from student government, whose money partially derives from student life fees. The emergency fund may fund abortions as part of its mission to support students in financial need under extenuating circumstances. And the website of the university bursar states that the fee makes it possible for campus and student life to offer a robust array of student support services. A portion of the student services fee is administered directly by students through student governing to fund recognized student organizations and other student-driven activities and programs. So what happened in the protest? A lot of students organized and spoke, but probably one of the most notable occurrences that we all heard about was that one unidentified protester of the bill threw an egg at a group of counter-protesters on the stairs inside the northern entrance to the Reynolds Club, and no one was hit. The University of Chicago Police Department officers were stationed in Reynolds Club to monitor the situation. Several officers stood at the door of the McCormick Lounge. And while the crowd outside the McCormick Lounge remained calm overall as the meeting went on, at times the protesters and other students, who were unable to enter the lounge before it filled to capacity, broke out in chants such as, My Body, My Choice. The chants became so loud that it became difficult to hear speakers inside the college council meeting. On the topic of protesting and free speech, as many people affiliated with the University of Chicago are aware, it has followed the Chicago principles of free speech, which state that debate or deliberation may not be suppressed because the ideas put forth are thought by some or even by most members of the university community to be offensive, unwise, immoral, or wrongheaded since 2014. 
The Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE, which is a national foundation aiming to defend and sustain the individual rights of students and faculty members at America's colleges and universities, endorsed the principles after their release and later launched a national campaign asking colleges and universities across the country to adopt the Chicago principles. Have any other colleges and universities adopted these principles? Yes. As of May 2019, 63 other universities have adopted these principles. Pomona College is currently constructing a system of campus speech that is similar to the Chicago principles. Furthermore, the State University System of Florida released a free expression statement on April 15th after Florida Governor Ron DeSantis urged public universities to focus on creating more free speech on campuses. Is there any resentment towards the Chicago principles? Yes. Sigal Ben-Poreth, a professor in the Literacy, Culture, and International Education Division of the University of Pennsylvania, wrote in against endorsing the Chicago principles that, quote, the endorsement of the Chicago principles comes at the expense of the reasonable demands from people on campuses who argue that free speech that protects the expression of biased views creates an unequal burden that they are made to carry. Has the university responded to the spread of the Chicago Principles? Law professor and former dean of the law school, Jeffrey Stone, who was in large part responsible for creating the Chicago Principles, said to the Maroon, When we wrote the Chicago Principles, we were thinking specifically about the University of Chicago and its traditions. That's why the first several paragraphs of the statement refer specifically to our own history. Frankly, it never occurred to us that other colleges and universities might adopt our statement as their own. Still, he thinks that universities and colleges that embrace these principles principles will be better off for doing so. So many of you may have received a notice Wednesday morning about an incident that happened on 61st in Kenwood. The Chicago Police Department officers fatally shot a bipolar young man after a standoff at East 61st Street and South Kenwood Avenue on Wednesday morning. A special weapons and tactics team was called to the scene in which an armed man had barricaded himself within the building. The university sent out a security alert about the incident which occurred just south of campus. According to a police report released Wednesday afternoon, officers arrived on the 1300 block of E61st in response to a disturbance. When they arrived, a family member told police that a man with a bipolar disorder, 22-year-old Miles Frazier, was armed with a weapon. Crisis intervention officers were on the scene when the subject opened fire, prompting SWAT response. In the ensuing encounter, SWAT officers shot Frazier. He was taken to the University of Chicago Medical Center's trauma unit where he was pronounced dead. Did he have any connection with the university? Not necessarily, but a Facebook account apparently belonging to Frazier shows that he worked at 710 Lanes, which is a bowling alley and restaurant on East 55th Street, which is right by the North Campus dorms. The university sent out a university-wide alert at 11.36 a.m. telling people to stay clear of the area. And at 12.04 p.m., the university sent an email saying there was no more risk of danger. And finally, a last really quick story regarding the bathroom signage at the University of Chicago follows that an initiative between the Chicago Officers of LGBTQ Student Life and Facility Service will work to replace current single-user restroom signs with signage that does not use binary male and female characters. 62 single-user restrooms across campus could have their signage changed by this initiative. Representatives from campus buildings with single-user restrooms will be invited to change their signage. The change in signage will not impact restrooms in dorm buildings, however. 38 of the 39 houses in the housing system have three gender designations for communal bathrooms, male, female, and all gender. The timeline for the sign updates has yet to be finalized. That is all we have for you for ninth week. Enjoy your day off and Memorial Day on Monday. As always, I'm Isaac. I'm Rom. Music for the weekly is produced by Aaron Senden, Andrew Dietz, and Kenny Vega. Thank you very much to the Logan Cage staff for the audio recording equipment and recording space. And as always, we will see you next week.